Hey, it's Andrew Claven with this week's interview with Dr. Miriam Grossman, the author of Lost in Translation. Last Friday on the show, we were talking about the way language got detached from meaning during the postmodern period, about the kind of progression from faith where we understood what we were all talking about and we all kind of had a sense of the, hum- the human person to the disintegration of the idea of the human being as a source of values, a source of experience. Uh, Shakespeare saw this coming in Hamlet's mad scene uh, where Hamlet is asked what he's reading and he said, words, words, words. I genuinely believe that that was Shakespeare's prophecy of where the culture was going and how words were going to lose their meaning. And it shouldn't come as any surprise that one of the ways in which this detachment of, of language from meaning uh, is being used is to detach us and alienate us from the central fact of human existence and the central joy for most of us, the central joy and miracle of human existence, which is the fact that some humans are made male and some are female through most of human history. This has been the source of joy and it still remains the source of the creation of the human race. And somehow we have lost the plot of that essential bit of business uh, that uh, that is the creation and the love and the uh, goal of humanity. Miriam Grossman is a medical doctor. She doesn't just call herself a doctor. She is one. She is board certified in psychiatry and in the subspecialty of child and adolescent psychiatry. She's the author of four books, including Unprotected and You're Teaching My Child What? And also the book I mentioned at first, Lost in Translation, her work exposing the origin and hazards of the sexuality and gender industry uh, has been translated into many languages. And of course, she appeared in Matt Walsh's uh, terrific film, What is a Woman? Dr. Grossman, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, you're so welcome, Andrew. And I love what you just said about detachment. Perfect. Bingo, bullseye. <laughs> well, Home but, run. <laughs> well, thank you. That's good. That's good to hear. Since you actually are a, a doctor and a psychiatrist, you must be seeing this a lot in a practice that deals with with young people. Before I, I want to talk about some of your personal experiences and some of the things that you're seeing. But can you give us some kind of history of how? I mean, it's always stunning to me how these things are introduced on a Wednesday, and by Thursday, they are absolute doctrinaire religion, and you can't speak against them, or you get censored, you get canceled. How did that happen? How did that happen so quickly? Okay. Well, of course, that's usually the number one question. And I have to say, we could be here for many hours <laughs> just, just, just answering that particular question. But in a nutshell, I would say that A number of decades ago, in the 50s and 60s, there was, uh, there were people that were, I'm going to have to say, wicked, okay? Bad, immoral people, people who wanted to destroy our Judeo-Christian heritage and to move us away from those Judeo-Christian roots and truths. And one of those truths, as you mentioned, is the, uh, is the fact that humans are male or female. We are mammals. Mammals are either male or female. That is established at conception, the moment that the egg and the sperm unite. We get a cell that is either male or female. And that cell develops into a full human being whose every cell in that fully developed human is male or female. 
So it is established at conception. It is permanent. And of course, there are more feminine boys and more masculine girls. That is personality. That is not sex. So what's happening now is that we are living through a, a, a period of mass delusion, mass psychosis, especially among young people who have been indoctrinated to believe that male and female are human inventions, that biology can be dismissed, and basically that reality can be dismissed. This is very dangerous. It's funny, you couldn't even say a boy was feminine if there weren't such a thing as femininity that existed in girls. You wouldn't even know what it was. Can you, though, I just want to say, you you said these people were wicked. You said they had it in for Judeo-Christian values. Just so people know that we're not uh, just raving, you know, shaking our fists at at the world. Can you be specific and and tell me, like, give me an example? Yes, of course. Uh, I'm referring now to Dr. John Money who was an eminent psychologist at Johns Hopkins University. And Dr. Money was a troubled soul. He was the person who uh, advanced the theory that male and female is a social construct. In other words, that he he believed that we are born um, gender neutral, that a boy could, depending on the environment, could grow up to be a girl, and a girl could grow up to be a boy, depending on uh, the expectations and messages from her family and her environment. Of course, you know, he admitted that there are some anatomical differences <laughs> between, between male and female, but everything else aside from those anatomical differences and the ability of women to get pregnant and gestate, give birth, and nurse, he said everything else is a social construct. And so what he did was um, he really devoted his life, John Money, to proving this theory. And I'll just give you a brief overview of this very fascinating and tragic story of the Reamer twins that many of your listeners have probably heard about. But just in a nutshell, this was an unfortunate family um, who gave birth to twin boys, and one of them, during their circumcision, the equipment malfunctioned, and one of the boy's penis Mm. was burnt off. Mm. He was left without a penis. The parents were desperate, of course. They heard Dr. Money on television. This was in the 60s. They heard Dr. Money uh, talking about how a boy could be raised as a girl. You just have to do it early enough, castrate him, um, put him in dresses, give him dolls, raise him as a girl, and he'll be fine. So uh, in their desperation, they turned to him. They went down to Johns Hopkins from Winnipeg, Canada, and they followed his instructions to the T. They had him castrated. They... They told everyone that he was a girl. They told him, obviously, that he was a girl. He was about 18 months at that time. So this was the ultimate, quote-unquote, social transition, what we, what we now call social transition. A new name, new pronouns, 
new presentation to the world, dresses, toys, the whole thing. And they, they went on like this for a few years. Now, John Money, when the twins were about five or six years old, reported this experiment to be a complete success. And it was a huge splash. It got a tremendous amount of attention in the press, both the medical and, you know, the um, professional press and in the lay press as well. Because, look, he was telling to the world, this was during a time of the nature versus nurture debate, right? What's more important, chromosomes, uh, anatomy, or the way that you're raised, the society, uh, the messages from society. And John Money says, said that his experiment proved beyond a shadow of the doubt that it was nurture that makes the difference. And so he achieved great fame <laughs> with this experiment with the twins. The thing is that many years later, in the late 90s, uh, this twin who had been renamed Brenda uh, came out publicly as David and told his story, his disastrous story. The experiment was a hoax. The experiment was a catastrophe. Mm. He never felt comfortable as a girl. He was extremely masculine, stereotypically masculine in terms of his behaviors, the way that he walked, his gestures. Um, he was an aggressive child. He enjoyed fighting. He preferred his brothers, his twin brothers' toys, his trucks, over the dolls that his parents gave him. He ripped off those dresses. He wanted to wear boys' clothes. So obviously, obviously, um, John's money theory about uh, David having been born gender neutral was false. Mm. It, his proof of concept study, his experiment with the twins, failed miserably. The thing is that John Money was an evil man. And he concocted this theory because of his own inner emotional problems. He was raised by a raging alcoholic father who regularly beat him and his mother. And John Money wrote about his own discomfort with his masculinity, with his genitals. So John Money had what we would call today gender dysphoria. He was unhappy, uncomfortable with his body. So, you know, you don't have to be a genius to figure out how this theory of his would help to solve some of his issues. Because if he wanted to escape his manhood, if he wanted to be the opposite of his raging maniac father, then he could, in his own mind, say, well, it doesn't matter that I'm, you know, that I'm X, that I have XY chromosomes. It doesn't matter that I have male genitals like my father did. I can be different than him because it's really nurture that makes the difference, not nature. When you say he was evil, what, aside from the obvious stupidity of his ideas, what constituted his evil? Well, there were many things that he did that was evil. First of all, he was pro uh, 
He was an advocate of, of uh, he was a pedophile. Yeah, that's what so I So he was an advocate <laughs> of, of adult child sexual behavior. He was a, he spoke out publicly for incest. He said that incest is not necessarily a negative experience for the child. Okay, he, his life was devoted to taking down Judeo-Christian values. Um, he also presented this data about the twins. He falsified his data. Okay. Um, That's the, the twins, yeah, the, the twins' mother reported back to him that Brenda or David was having a lot of issues and not doing well. And in fact, she wrote John Money when the twins were 14 that the parents had informed them that David, that Brenda was not a girl, that Brenda had been born a boy, which John Money had told them never to do. But because Brenda slash David had become suicidal when he entered puberty and he realized that he was attracted to girls he was growing breasts because John Money had arranged for him to be given estrogen. And John Money was trying to convince him to have a vaginoplasty, the construction of a vagina. And so this poor Brenda, David, was suicidal. And his psychiatrist in, uh, in Winnipeg told his parents, you must tell him the truth. Now, when he was told the truth, and this is an amazing story, it's told in the book by John Colapinto called As Nature Made Him, the boy who was raised as a girl. But the moment that he was told his true identity, that he is a boy, he felt tremendous relief. Mm. He felt that he knew all along that something was terribly wrong. He was never comfortable as a girl. And yet, and he had been abused, by the way, every time Every year that they took the twins down to see John Money, John Money was sexually abusing those boys. Of course, of course, yeah. All right, my boys, gather around because I've got a holiday gift idea that's sure to make you the hero of the season. We all know the holidays can be a bit hectic, the shopping, the cooking, the never-ending list of things to do. But fear not, because I've discovered a gift that's not just thoughtful, it's downright transformative, the gift of GenuCell skincare. From now until Christmas, GenuCell's most popular package has a special discount just for my listeners at GenuCell.com slash Clavin. Treat yourself and your loved ones to the absolute best skincare in the world. Those troubling forehead wrinkles, fine lines, skin redness, and yes, even a sagging jawline will disappear right before your eyes with GenuCell's most popular collection. You will see results in less than 12 hours, guaranteed, or your money back. I myself met George, the CEO of GenuCell, last week. Great guy. Our favorite thing about GenuCell is how clean their products are. They're simply the best. You deserve to look and feel your best this holiday season. Go to GenuCell.com slash Clavin to get this incredible holiday discount. Every order today is instantly upgraded to free express shipping. That's GenuCell.com slash Clavin today. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, please, oh, please, 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 please. Tell me how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no All right. So now, do you are, are you still in practice? Do you see children yourself? And you must be seeing some of this, as you said, it's kind of a mass psychosis. It's an induced psychosis, but it's still a mass psychosis. Every day. You've seen it every day. Now, what 
is this something that just appeals to kids who are already troubled? Or is it something that speaks to something in them that, you know, that you recognize? Why, why does this catch on? I'm going to say one more thing about David, and then I'll answer okay. the question. I just wanted to add, I want your audience to know that David and his brother, uh, his brother died of an overdose mm. at, uh, at the age of 36. And David uh, killed himself with a shotgun at the age of 38. Mm, okay. And their parents blamed John Money for their deaths. Yeah. Overall, it is kids who are vulnerable, I would, I would say vulnerable, who are attracted to this ideology and this delusion of being born in the wrong body. But that is not to say that it doesn't affect everybody. But yes, you know, you are correct. For example, kids who are on the autism spectrum. Mm. And these are kids who, you know, have social issues. They don't fit in anywhere. They have difficulty because of their autism with, um, you know, with socializing, with picking up on cues, understanding um, you know, facial expressions, understanding jokes, understanding sarcasm. And they, they have a hard time, understandably, especially when middle school comes, finding their peer group where they feel accepted and they feel good about themselves. And they also, kids who are on the autism spectrum, have something called black and white thinking. What that means is that they see the world in terms of either or. Mm. They don't see the gray. So if you have a girl, for example, who is uncomfortable with her developing body and she hates getting her period and she hates the attention that she's getting from men because of her changing body, she might say to herself, you know, I don't like being a girl. I must be a boy. Mm. So is, is there a treatment for that condition that actually works, that, you know, that keeps them from butchering themselves? Oh, of course there is. Of course these kids can be, can be helped. The thing is that they're being indoctrinated mm. at an early age. You know, I speak in my book about these books that are being written for toddlers, yes. for toddlers and preschoolers that say things like, um, adults make mistakes. When you were born, they may have taken a look at your body and said, oh, you're a boy, oh, you're a girl. They, you couldn't speak up when you were born and tell them, no, I'm not a boy. But now you can speak up mm. and you need to tell the world who you really are because adults make mistakes. So what I'm saying is that, Andrew, yes, I mean, there is help. Of course, there's help for these kids. But the problem is they become indoctrinated. They start hearing about this, you know, this, th these falsehoods. Um, they, and they, they take it in, you know, left and right, not only from our media or entertainment, but at school, from their teachers, from their guidance counselors, from their peers, online, YouTube, everywhere. And one of the things that I warn parents about is they have to get control of their child's uh, internet use. Mm. And I have instructions in my book, I have an appendix 
written by an IT expert on how to get control of your child's internet use. Not, you don't, uh, please don't wait until your kid comes home and at dinner one day says, mom, dad, I'm not your daughter, I'm your son. If you wait until that point, you have a you have a very steep hill to climb. You want years, years before that happens. You want to present the proper information, the biological truths to your children. You want to tell your child when they're still young. You want to say, you know, from the moment that you first existed, when you were inside your mother's womb or inside your mother's womb, um, you were either a boy or a girl. From the very first, it has nothing to do with being assigned. There's no assigned at birth. <laughs> and they're going to, you know, we hear this, I read this all over the medical literature and it drives me crazy. I read in the, you know, journals of pediatrics, endocrinology, child psychiatry, sex assigned at birth. This is wrong. Sex is established at conception. And I recently testified to that effect in our Congress. And the fact that I had to be asked, a medical doctor has to go to the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. and testify that sex is established at birth and it cannot be changed, gives you an idea of the appalling situation that we're in. Well, this is something I want to ask you. We're talking to Dr. Miriam Grossman, author of Lost in Transnation. Uh, she is a psychiatrist and a medical doctor. In, in fact, I wouldn't ask you this question. I'm going to ask you to speculate a little bit. I wouldn't ask you to do this if you weren't a, a doctor and a psychiatrist. But, <laughs> it, you know, when we put this up on, on YouTube, they may censor parts of it because they don't want this obvious scientific truth against which there's zero no, percent evidence, they don't want it spoken. They think that this is wrong to speak it. For a long time, you get thrown off uh, social media. You could get condemned. People would uh, curse you for saying what is the obvious truth. There is a, this guy, Richard Levine, who calls himself Rachel Levine, who is in our uh, government, who is telling people that children should trans transition and, and nobody's doing what I think should be done, which is arrest him. But But... I, I would like you to speculate, why is this taking off like that? I mean, if this had been told to people in, in my day and, you know, in the 60s, and so, I don't think anybody would have bought into it, except maybe maybe I'm wrong because of the story you tell about money. But still, uh, you know, I don't think it would have spread this way. Why do you think that this, the um, that society was ready for this particular poison plant to bloom? OK, so there, I think there's a confluence of different factors. One is that uh, the American Psychiatric Association in 2013 changed the status of their diagnosis of gender identity disorder to call it gender dysphoria. Now, that may sound like just a technical nomenclature change, but it was much more than that. Because in doing that, the American Psychiatric Association was saying it's not a disorder to feel uh, in conflict with your body. It's not a disorder to feel basically disembodied, like your, like your identity as a male or female is separate from your body, that that's not a disorder. We had already, we had all, always for decades considered it a disorder 
they changed that. So that was one thing. Another thing that happened. In 2015, as you know, the definition of marriage was changed. And marriage now, that word now includes the union of two men and two women. And before 2015, uh, that, uh, that issue was really at the heart at, of, of the entire LGBT um, you know, machine. You know, the, uh, yeah, I'll call it an industry machine, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so, so a lot of money and energy went into that. Once that passed, the Supreme Court passed that, um, there had to be a next thing. <laughs> I mean, as you know, Andrew, with the left, there's always going to be something <laughs> yeah. else. Yeah. And so that, so this is another thing. So for example, the human rights campaign, um, if you look at their, policy statements before 2015, it was almost, there was very, very little about transgenderism. But then with 2015, it became focused on trans, the transgender issue. Mm. And the human rights campaign is nothing to sneeze at. They're a very, very powerful lobby group. Now, the other thing that happened is social media, okay? An, an explosion of social media kids being given, young kids being given smartphones, internet access. And so all this stuff is just, they carry it around in their pockets. And the internet is filled with groomers. Yeah. People that want to reach children and influence them. You know, there, there, there's other things as well. There's, you know, the rise of the transhumanism movement and all the money that's from that movement that's also put into transgenderism. So I think it's a variety of issues. You know, there, there do seem to be the occasional rare, there does seem to be the occasional rare person. I remember uh, James Morris, who was a writer and a kind of a masculine adventure writer who became this kind of uh, <laughs> Mrs. Tiggy Winkle sort of uh, woman writer in his later years, but who seemed actually to have found some kind of yes. peace with himself. So, th so this does yes. seem, you agree that this does exist, this condition does exist. Absolutely, and I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, Jan Morris, very interesting person, wrote a fascinating book called Conundrum. So he or she, because in this instance, I would say she actually, mm -hmm. Very, very rare instance. We've always known in psychiatry that there are extremely rare instances, one in many tens of thousands of people, in which from an early, early age, age three, four, the person, not from being on the internet, not from hearing about it at school, okay, not from seeing it at Target, but from some inner process, something emotional is going on with them. We don't understand it. Mm. Um, they have a persistent inner sense of, of not belonging in their sex bodies. And it is a serious condition. Um, again, extremely rare. 
The problem is that this, you see, this is a completely different population than our current um, <laughs> epidemic of kids. Mm. Okay, and I explain this in the book. Very, very important. Our current epidemic of kids, we have a 5,000% increase in kids who are identifying as the opposite sex just in the past 10 years or so, a 5,000% increase. So it's a new population. It's a population that's mostly girls, um, teenagers, and uh, kids who never before had discomfort with being boys or girls. Mm. So it's a totally different population than the Jan Morrises of the world. And I will add the also the, um, the Jazz Jennings of the world, mm-hmm. because Jazz Jennings is another example of a child from a very young age who had a sense of, of being a girl or, or wanting very much to be a girl. The thing is with Jazz, Jazz was not given the opportunity of going through normal male puberty, which may have uh, gotten him to a place of comfort with his body going through natural puberty. He went on puberty blockers at age 11, so he was never able to do that. But you bring up a very, very important point, and I want people to understand that I'm not saying that, they're no, that, that this doesn't exist. It does exist, extremely rare cases, and there are people that have been helped their mental status, their, men- their emotional state has improved significantly with the medical interventions. However, we have no way of knowing beforehand who that's going to be, <laughs> who's going to feel better and who's not going to feel better. So this is a, it's a very complex subject, um, but my position is that no minor, no minor at all, should be given these uh, experimental interventions. Yeah, no, that Zero. seems that seems clear. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm out of time. I, the only thing I'd like to ask, uh, if you can give me a short answer, um, is this, do you think this is the sort of madness of crowds thing that will pass? Or do you think this is a genuine disturbance in the society that we're not going to get over? Oh, it's going to pass. Yeah. Because it doesn't, you can't stand it's yeah. because it's it's not true. It doesn't right. it doesn't have a foundation of truth. Right. So yeah. we know that it, it can't it can't last. Yeah. That's... Okay. Because of the foundation. But I do want to say, Andrew, that I want to I want to tell your listeners, um, your viewers, I really I put my heart and soul, I put my heart and soul into this book because I don't want to see more families in my practice who say to me they were blindsided. I want parents to to inoculate their families and be educated and have the skills to fight this madness. Um, And I'll also mention that many people, I I know that many people can't sit down and and read a book, either because they don't have the time or they have ADD or whatever it is. Um, And so they prefer audio. And I did the narration for the audio book and people are loving it. And I actually loved doing the narration. I was nervous about it. But once I started, it was great fun <laughs> yes. to read my book. Um, and, and, and I imagined while I was narrating it, 
people in their cars listening and people listening while they were doing the dishes. And please, please, I'm urging parents to not be blindsided. I don't want your family to be destroyed by this issue. There are families that are torn apart. I don't want to see your kid and your entire family suffer terribly from this. I want your child to grow up healthy and uh, and able to thrive and have biological children and have a normal sexual response and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, the book, again, the author is Dr. Miriam Grossman. The book is Lost in Translation. It's very engagingly written. It's not a scientific, difficult to get through tome, and I'm really enjoying it, too. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, It was really interesting talking to you. I hope we'll talk again. I do, too. Thanks, Andrew. If you want more information uh, about what Dr. Grossman was talking about, she has a website. It's Miriam, M-I-R-I-A-M, Miriam Grossman, md.com, miriamgrossmanmd.com. Her book, as I say, is engagingly written. I know a lot of people, uh, parents are dealing with problems like this, and uh, she will. Uh, she has more information on her website. Uh, meanwhile, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. We will have a show after the holiday and a, an interview in the week after that. So have a wonderful holiday. <music> 